Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm also the founder of Alzheimer Speaks, which is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. We truly believe it's important to help families and businesses alike connect to resources, products, and tools that they need and research and trials as well. We also help companies expand their brand footprint by leveraging our content um, with our audience because you know it's just hard to build that audience. And we've got a, a nice large uh, global audience. And again, you know, my mom had dementia for 30 years, and one of the things that frustrated me the most was not being able to find resources and so that's that's really my bottom line goal with Alzheimer Speaks and everything we do is keeping it simple and talking in everyday language so people can understand what is available to them and what the true needs are and letting their voice and their opinion be heard as well. We just had a wonderful conversation earlier this week on open mic and we had people with dementia calling in and we had professionals alike and it was a great conversation so feel free to go back and listen to that all of our archives are there and you're more than welcome to to listen at um, at any time I also have to thank our listeners you see you guys have been so loyal and so kind um, you, you like our show you subscribe you are pushing things out into your own sphere of influence and you're really helping those who are floundering find information and be able to grab it when the time is right for them. And so I hope that you'll continue to do that because I, I, I think each of us can play a real important role in collaborating and um, joining forces. And I truly believe it's the only way we're gonna win this battle against dementia is by working together. You can always go to our main website as well, where we have lots of projects that you might want to get involved with, like the Purple Angel symbol or memory cafes. There's all kinds of things out there. You can just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and check us out, or maybe you have an idea for a show. Maybe you'd like to be a guest. So just give me a holler. Uh, reach out at lori at alzheimerspeaks.com or give me, give me a jingle on the phone and let me know what your idea is. Now, before getting into our show today, which we're gonna be talking about some really cool research going on, I wanna give a shout out to Dementia Action Alliance. They are doing their second North American Dementia Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, June 20th through the 22nd. And they feature not only professionals, but a lot of people living with dementia that give new insights um, and, and such a valuable information to help the rest of us make them more comfortable in their day-to-day -day life. And you can go to daanow.org, that's daanow.org for more information. 
Um, and I also want to give a shout out to Maria Shriver. I just adore her. She has the Women's Alzheimer's Movement. She also does an event every summer called Move for Minds, where she raises funds for research as well. And um, she's heading up one of the task force in California um, to really, really get them on track. So go to the Women's Alzheimer's Movement.org, the Women's Alzheimer's Movement.org to learn more about her her work as well. And then the last I want to give a shout out to is Calendar Cards. And Calendar and Cards both starts with a K. But Dave there has developed a memory system to help those diagnosed continue to manage their own lives as independently as long as possible. And he has put together directories for memory cafes. And so if you go to memorycafedirectory.com, uh, you will go to the U.S. site there. They are also doing it for other state or other uh, countries as well. And I know in the U.S. we finally have over 600 of them, which is just a wonderful to see. And for those of you that don't know what a memory cafe is, they are, I, I hate to even call them a support group, but they're a gathering of people with dementia and their care partners where they can come together as a community, which is absolutely fabulous. They're a lot of, lot of fun and um, they just really lift one another up. So let's get to our show today. Did you know that there's new research in the fight against Alzheimer's and dementia showing that up to one half of all Alzheimer's disease can be postponed, reduced, or prevented? Top experts and researchers recently shared cutting-edge information and research and key models about the possible prevention in a webinar they held at globalbetterhealth.com. And our guest today was part of that panel. So uh, we are just thrilled to have Maya Kiva uh, Paletto with us today. She's a medical director and is the professor of clinical geriatrics. She is also at the Center for Alzheimer's Research. She is the director of Research and Development of Theme Aging at Carol Inska University in Stockholm, Sweden. And she is the transitional researcher, which focuses on prevention and early diagnosis and treatment of cognitive impairment and dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And she is the primary investigator of the Landmark Finger Trial, which I can't wait to hear more about. And this is really the first large-scale trial showing that a multiple domain lifestyle-based intervention, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about that, can actually reduce the risk of cognitive impairment for people who are at risk from the general population for dementia. So welcome, Maya. How are you doing today? Yes, thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you today because you, um, well, you're, you're just doing so much. But before I get into kind of the fingers trial, can you explain to our audience, because not everybody might know kind of what an epidemic dementia is. Yes, indeed. We can say that dementia is a huge global epidemic. Every three seconds, someone in the world gets dementia, develops dementia, 
and there are today around 50 million persons with dementia globally. This number is estimated to increase to 150 by 2050. So it's a huge, huge increase. Actually, the numbers are increasing even more in developing countries, really meaning that this is a global challenge. Dementia is the fifth largest cause of death globally, and we all know that it's causing a lot of suffering for the patients and caregivers, but it's also a huge economic challenge. Uh, so it's, it's obvious that we need to find new solutions. We need to find uh, uh, innovative solutions. And actually prevention has been highlighted as one of the key elements if we want to manage this global dementia challenge. I think also what you mentioned earlier, that joint efforts are needed. But we can think that dementia is really so big challenge that no one can handle or manage it alone. So we need to have a joint collaboration between researchers uh, and different stakeholders to really find these new solutions. Oh, I, I so agree. It's it's really frustrating as a as a member of the public to see all these uh, failed research projects. I, I know people get really upset, but again, through failure is how we learn. And so we have to, I think, accept that that's part of the process here um, when we're looking for answers and to, to reframe failure really as a, as a learning tool. Now, you had mentioned about prevention. You know, what, what do we know right now in terms of prevention? Is there anything out there that really works? People talk about the Mediterranean diet and coconut oil and, and all kinds of things and, and exercise, but is there any real proof behind any of those things? And, and you know, what are your thoughts? Yes, I think uh, we have learned a lot about the possibilities to prevent or at least postpone cognitive impairment, dementia, and Alzheimer. When I started my research more than 20 years ago, the picture was quite different. At that time, it was, I would say, a mainly high age, which is still the most significant or the strongest risk factor. So it was the age and genetic risk factors. They were the only established risk factors for dementia and Alzheimer's disease. So it was quite, I would say, fatalistic attitude for Alzheimer's disease. Now, during the last 15, 20 years, we have learned a lot. We have had these very nice longitudinal observational studies linking various modifiable lifestyle-related vascular and metabolic risk factors for dementia and Alzheimer's disease. I think one important finding we have is that the process leading to Alzheimer's disease uh, starts really very early. It may start 20 to 30 years before we can get dementia diagnosis. So I normally say that it's never too early to start to prevent dementia and Alzheimer's disease. We should probably start it latest at midlife. Then what can we do? We have quite strong evidence, especially what, what it comes to vascular, vascular-related risk factors, for example, high blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, obesity. We also know that there are many lifestyle-related factors like physical activity, healthy diet, which you mentioned, or Mediterranean diet, and also psychosocial factors are getting increasing 
interest, depression may increase the risk. Uh, all kinds of brain activity uh, is good for the brain. On the other hand, brain also needs uh, some rest. We know that stress and bad sleep may also be linked with the higher risk for dementia and AD. So altogether, it has been estimated, as you mentioned, that between 30 to 50 percent of late onset Alzheimer's disease is linked to these modifiable risk factors like high blood pressure, uh, obesity, uh, uh, diabetes, low education, low physical activity and depression. So clearly there is room for prevention and we do not know always how much exactly on individual level we can prevent. I personally want to talk a bit more about risk reduction. So we can at least try to postpone or reduce the risk of dementia. But taken together, I think the picture is getting much more optimistic of it was pre. Well, I like, you know, I, I like that idea of focusing on risk reduction too, because everybody out here wants to know. And yet I think, you know, from the public, you know, we, we hear so many different studies and not just regarding dementia, but anything like you know, bacon's good for you, it's bad for you. Same with wine, same with this, same with that. And we, don't, we never know which way to go. And, and to me, one of the exciting things is that, you know, we're expanding to pieces now that people can actively make changes in their life. You know, when it's just on the cellular level, there's not a whole lot that we can, we can do about that um, other than, you know, with these pieces of, healthy diet, exercise, um, keeping socially engaged, sleeping, and um, reducing the stressors in our life. Those are all things that we can relate to that can maybe change some of our genes um, uh, in one way or the other to affect things and lowering our blood pressure. But those are, those are things that we can actually take action on. And I think for so long, the discussion was so deep in the the medical research model, people just thought there wasn't anything that they could do. And also what I think is what you mentioned, that this is the, an active role for the person. There is something I can do for the brain health. There, is, uh, there are my choices, what I can try to do every day. And as I mentioned also, I don't think there is a single factor. It's really that the multifactorial uh, etiology of Alzheimer's disease, meaning that there are several different risk factors and mechanisms. And that, I think, is also the, the new finding that probably we need to try to target several risk factors simultaneously to get the optimal preventive effect. And we don't need to always change everything at once. We all have different risk profiles, different risk factors. So it's more like starting with the risk factors that are obvious and trying to make long-lasting changes. The same risk factors are also there for many other chronic diseases. So, so at the same time, we can benefit both the brain health and the general health. Yeah, I, I really, I like that fact of the, kind of the door opening that there are multi-factors. You know, there's been a saying for years and years when you've met one person with dementia, you've met one. And, you know, to me, that's really saying this is customized <laughs> to each yeah. of us is, is different. And that is really important. The other uh, thing that you mentioned that I, I personally feel super strong about is the 
the psychosocial piece. Um, I, I see that in action all the time where people will come in and be kind of quiet and withdrawn and even going through, you know, to memory cafes and getting engaged and um, they, get, they get excited, they feel connected, they feel a sense of purpose. And so many individuals that I work with on my dementia chats where I interview people with dementia, they talk about this new sense of purpose and the, the power in that and, and how exhilarating that is. And not that they want to have dementia by, by any stretch, but it's just so clear to them now what their purpose is. And then being able to realize that they can have an impact because I think so often we are told that one person can't make a difference. And in, in dementia, I see all the time the difference of one with that. What are your thoughts on the, the, the um, social aspect? Uh, I fully agree that the uh, social aspects, the psychosocial factors, are, are important and even from the scientific point of view we have increasing evidence from several studies uh, we also see that clearly I'm also working as a medical doctor at, at our memory clinic we have very many patients who have different kind of uh, um, uh, psychosocial risk factors as I mentioned stress nowadays burnout depression are very common they are also common among younger persons and, and that may be also linked with the increased risk of dementia, bad sleep, uh, loneliness, not having the meaning of life, losing someone who is close to a lot of these kind of risk factors, which I think are important. I will talk later a bit more about the finger trial, which we have been conducting, but also the evidence from our trial clearly showed that when people can be part of something, being part of this kind of lifestyle trial that really increases the well-being as well. And that can positively influence the brain health in many different ways. So I, I really think that the psychosocial factors are increasingly important for all age groups, but I also see it especially maybe for persons who are a bit older, uh, who are living alone, who are not anymore working, who do not have these social support for work. And I'm also thinking the caregivers for patients who have Alzheimer's disease. It is a, a sometimes a stressful situation. So I think these kind of interventions, finding these persons who have these risk factors is, is very important. Well, and speaking of, of caregivers or care partners or carers, whatever you call them, you know, around the world, I, I think it's important too that you know, while we have this discussion of, of these things can all impact and, and maybe reduce the risk or, or prevent um, dementia from coming or hitting as hard as it is, it also helps, I think, the general public and those, those caregivers look at different rationale as to why there might be a symptom showing. And makes people much more conscious of that where before it's so easy just to blame the disease and a lot of times when we're blaming the disease that really turns into blaming the person and when we can get these alternatives to look at I think it's an empowering thing for everyone and so I, I really um, am excited and I guess I'd like to step into 
learning more about the fingers trial and how did it get started and, and why? Yes, that is really exciting. So as you mentioned, I'm the principal investigator of the finger trial. We started the trial already nearly 10 years ago and that was at that time very new. The new thing in the finger trial was really the multi-domain intervention. So what we did was putting together evidence from different risk factors. So we did the first large randomized control trial, trying to see if we can reduce the risk of cognitive impairment with multi-domain lifestyle intervention. The evidence which I mentioned earlier about these risk factors comes from observational studies. And if we think the evidence-based medicine, we should have evidence from randomized trials, but we all know that it has been very difficult in Alzheimer's field to get positive findings from randomized controlled trials. So really, Finger was the first large long-term lifestyle-based multi-domain intervention showing that it is possible to reduce the risk of cognitive impairment among at-risk persons from general population. Well, what I mean with at-risk persons is that these persons had some risk factors for dementia, for example, high blood pressure or low physical activity, but they did not yet have any dementia or any clear cognitive impairment. And what did we do? Uh, the age range for these persons was 65 to 79 years, 1,260 persons, and the intervention was two years. One group, half of the persons, got this whole lifestyle package. With physical activity, it was both aerobic, being out, running, walking. It was some gym training and some balance training. They got healthy diet advice and counseling. They got cognitive training and social activity and management of all vascular and metabolic risk factors for two years. And the other group got regular health advice, what we get today. The results after two years, they're very significant. We, we were able to see that this intensive multi-domain lifestyle intervention group, the cognition was, was much better. There was much better results for the total cognition measured with sensitive cognitive tests. We could see that memory, more complex memory domains, they were also better. Processing speed, how quickly we can do different tasks, as well as our planning abilities work. And also the functional uh, domains, how they were functioning in daily activities as well as uh, health-related quality of life. So we were really pleased to see that the total benefit seemed to be very significant. Feedback what we got from these participants was very, very positive. As I mentioned, it was not only the cognition, but they really felt that they were part of something uh, significant. They could contribute to something. So it was very nice to see that. So that is it. And now what we are doing with the finger trial is we are continuing the follow-up. So we have just finalized the seven-year follow-up of the finger trial. And it will be very exciting to see what are the results after this extended follow-up. Wow, that's a, that'll be really exciting. Can you tell us, you know, how many people were in the trial? And you know, you're you're located over in Sweden. Was it just local there, or were these global participants? Or 
Yes, the study was conducted in Finland. It's a joint collaboration between Sweden and Finland, and actually the funding is coming from very many different funding organizations, not only from our countries, but also, also globally. For example, Alzheimer Association, Alzheimer Research, Alzheimer Prevention Institutes have been part of that. We had six different study centers and totally 1,260 persons. So it was quite large trial and also the duration that it was for two years. So that was really the first large long-term trial showing that this multi-domain intervention can give a significant benefits on cognitive functioning. What I also mentioned, what I, what I, what I would like to mention is the benefit for the total health. I mentioned already the benefit for the functional level and the quality of life but also the risk of other chronic diseases was reduced by 60% after two years. So again, the same intervention seems to benefit both brain and the body. Wow, that's a very interesting. Now, I'm going to ask a question that a lot of people are probably wondering because, you know, what we're talking about here is is not really necessarily pharma related. And so how how do they feel about this study? Or maybe I'm misspeaking there. Maybe they're part of the funders with this. But I think there's a perception that this is a, a more holistic approach. Yeah, I, I would say that this is indeed more holistic approach. And I think that is what we probably need for Alzheimer because it is how I see it is a complex, it's multifactorial disorder, especially when we are talking about elderly patients with Alzheimer. There are often not only Alzheimer pathology, but also vascular. Uh, risk factors and vascular brain changes. So trying to target many of those, trying to take the more holistic view, I think is important. At the same time, I think that we need to have the drug and pharmacological approach as well. We are working very actively with the drug trials. We have 15 different trials going on in my center. And how I see it in the future is maybe the combination. I think lifestyle intervention, they are always needed. That's kind of the basis. Hopefully in the close future, we have also new drugs which we can combine with the lifestyle interventions. And I also think that one size may not fit all. I think there may be different subtypes of Alzheimer. We have different different types of Alzheimer's. So maybe finding the right cocktail, if I may put it in that way, for each individual, having a bit more individualized, personalized approach in the future. A little bit how we do the cancer care today. There are different drugs that we combine, but the healthy lifestyle is always. Yeah, I think uh, I think using cancer is a, is a great way to look at it because it, it really is individualized depending on on the the person's uh, you know body and and personal health situation um, to the um, particular strain, and it seems like 
with dementia, even though it's been around, you know, a hundred years, in my eyes, I look at it still as a really baby disease because we haven't invested a ton of money in it. And there's so much we don't know. And even some of the terminology or the diagnosis seems to be changing. I mean, a lot of people say, well, they called it this and now they're calling it that, but it, it doesn't feel like it's changed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's true. And we are, of course, uh, we have learned a lot about Alzheimer's, but there are still many unknowns and we need so much new research. I think it's also, we know that there have been much more funding for cancer research and, and other disorders. And now it's, it's very nice to see these great uh, increasing interest for Alzheimer's research and again the joint effort. So I think what we are also trying to do in my center to have the translational approach, doing both more basic research, trying to understand what are the pathways, uh, what are the mechanisms, but at the same try, time to trying to do very clinical research because I think we need to try to offer something for the patients already now. One more example of what I would like to give is our new trial called MindAD, where we are testing this finger type of intervention for patients who already have mild, mild Alzheimer's disease. We do not yet have the results, but we have the experiences from the patients and the caregivers, and that has been very positive. They really like to be part of this kind of intervention. It gives structure for the daily, uh, daily, daily routines, and they feel much better. They feel that they get, get more energy, they get more self-management, and they, they feel empowered. So I'm very happy to see that the first experiences from that trial are also very positive. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Now, you have something called the Worldwide Fingers, where it sounds like there's uh, multiple countries that have joined in um, on the research. Can you tell us a little bit more about Worldwide Finger? Yes, I mean, that is really, really great. So after we published the finger results in The Lancet 2015, uh, there has been a huge interest to start uh, different kind of prevention trials globally. 2017, we launched uh, the Worldwide Fingers uh, at the Alzheimer's Association a conference AAIC in London. So it's a joint initiative hosted by Alzheimer Association, and I'm the more the scientific uh, leader of, of that initiative. So the goal is really to try to uh, support all these new fingers globally and uh, try to harmonize the data and share experiences. And today, there are already more than 15 countries who are somehow involved and who are participating in the worldwide finger. In the US, there is a, a big trial for ongoing called US uh, Pointer. In Canada, they are aiming to start Canadian Thumb. In Singapore, there is not, not, not finger, but finger trial. In China, we have a big trial called MindChine. So really globally, there are big studies. I was in Japan recently. We have been in India. It's wonderful to see the engagement from all these different countries. And what I think is really important, I see finger as the basic model. And it's, it's, we need to try to adapt 
and we need to try to test that model so that it's fitting to different cultures and different settings. Again, I don't think one size fits all. The culture is different, the lifestyle is different, the infrastructure is different. So we really need to find the best model to these different settings. Wow, that that is exciting that you've got 15 different countries involved. And I, I like the idea of you know, adapting to um, the culture, you know, in that country and, um, and really helping people, you know, work through and kind of harmonize this whole process. And, you know, I know that everybody seems to be struggling with getting parties involved in trials. Has that been difficult for you as well? I mean, I would see that people might look at yours a little different because versus kind of the and I hate to say medical model because I know you're saying this is still all medically oriented, but it, it seems to, you know, differently based. Yeah, I, I think that has been maybe the strength to get the, uh, different countries uh, globally uh, to be involved and get different stakeholders to be part of that. Uh, uh, so it's something various countries can really start. And again, what you also mentioned, the harmonization and trying to have the joint efforts is the key. We want to have them really share our experiences. What are the lessons we have learned so that we can avoid the situation that each country is doing the same mistakes? We, we don't want to have any more so many negative trials. We really want to learn from the from the mistakes and the, the, the things what we have been doing doing earlier. So really this open attitude, sharing data, sharing experiences, trying to harmonize the interventions so that at the end of these studies, we could try to see what are the differences. If we try to have the same outcome measures when feasible, it would be wonderful to try to compare the different studies. What is working in one country may not work in some other country. But this is, I think, really the strength of Worldwide Fingers, sharing uh, data experiences and having the harmonized protocols. Again, the joint efforts are, are really, really important. One more thing what I would like to mention, uh, what, I, what I see, what is the value of the Worldwide Fingers, of course, the intervention, what is the effect, increasing awareness. We are also collecting a lot of data. We are starting earlier. Before um, uh, people have developed the dementia or clear cognitive impairment, we are collecting a lot of biomarkers. We will learn a lot about the pathways leading to Alzheimer's and dementia. So we can use the same data or data sets also to learn what are the early pathological features? What are the mechanisms leading to Alzheimer's? Well, that again, it's just wonderful. And I think some people might be shocked that um, I know I was when I first heard that a lot of data wasn't being shared. And so clinical trials were being repeated and failed because the information wasn't shared. And that just seems like such a disjustice, you know, just on a monetary basis alone. And in the way economics are around the world, again, I think it's just great that you guys are working together with this uh, using shared data and in kind of harmonizing um, outcomes. And so that you're really truly working together. And I think we're, in my opinion, um, 
you know, we've got to be getting a bigger bang for our buck out of that and being able to push the needle, I think, forward. Would you agree with that? I, I, I totally agree. And I, I really have clearly seen that, that now in many of the big initiatives, the power has been when we work together. And again, it can be academia. We have often industry partners. We have patient organizations, we have different stakeholders, and I think that is really needed to get there, to get to get the, to, to find these new innovative solutions. One area what we also work a lot is uh, using new technology to try to facilitate these new interventions. Uh, for example, we have a lot of internet-based interventions. We have mobile apps that can be used both to uh, help in self-management and monitoring. So again, I think when different sectors and areas work together, we can find really new mobile solutions. I totally agree and align with that as well. Um, can you tell our audience too about the Brain Health Institute? You know, where is it located and what does it do? And, and why is it a good thing? Is it a good thing for the public? I hope it will be a great thing for all of us. It's a very new initiative. Actually, the press release went out just uh, two days ago. So the name is Fingers Brain Health Institute. Uh, it's physically located in Stockholm, in Sweden, where I'm based. But the goal is that that is an international, it's a global initiative. Trying to help in this worldwide fingers organization and harmonization what we are doing. Uh, one goal is also uh, to develop infrastructure uh, where we can involve healthy volunteers earlier. Nowadays, when we have the persons coming to the memory clinic, they may come quite late. Primary care, at least in our country, has not always have the capacity to capture these early persons who are worried for the memory or who would be want to be part of the trials. So one important feature here will be developing brain e-health platform or brain health register uh, where people can really uh, show the interest to be part of different trials uh, where we can do already online some kind of screening and, and phenotyping so that we can find the right kind of interventions and trials for these persons. So again, it's a joint initiative and really putting a lot of focus on prevention, using new technology, harmonizing the worldwide fingers. And finally, one important thing what we want to do with this institute is trying to facilitate implementation of the new findings. There are research showing that it may take between 15 to 17 years to implement the new research findings. I think it's too long time. And I hope that this new institute will help to increase awareness about lifestyle factors and try to help to implement these new evidence, what is there. I think that that's absolutely, again, fantastic, because we do need to speed up this process. And it is so um, difficult, you know, especially here in the U.S. to get anything, it seems like, pushed forward, saying that it's it's safe and, and workable here. And yet, you know, what we're talking about is really lifestyle changes. And so um, we, we should be able to push that through. It's a matter of getting the word out and educating people and, 
and um, and and really, I think almost having support or mentors to help people through some of these changes in their lifestyle versus, you know, taking a pill or, you know, whatever it might be. But um, I, I think, you know, with dementia as a whole for people who are diagnosed or people who are caring for them, to me, one of the biggest things I see that they need is just mentors. They need somebody to talk to. They need someone to help them over the hump when times are hard and, and redirect them and, inspire them. Are you looking at at doing any of that um, or is that part of the incorporation of, of the trial? It is absolutely part of the initiative that Binger's Brain Health Institute also having this close uh, um, connection with the, with the patients and caregivers and trying to empower them. They are part of our trials, giving feedback. I have actually now one of my PhD students having the dissertation in two days, and her focus is really how can we do the trials and how can we do our clinics so um, how can we uh, improve the quality so that they fit for the purpose, that they, they, we really do what the uh, patients and the caregivers uh, want us to do. So I think more involving these different actors, uh, both in the clinic and in the trials, are important. And coming back to the question about what can we do today, uh, I, I agree what you said earlier, that there are, uh, of course, still many unknowns, uh, but I think we have enough evidence to justify some immediate actions when it comes to increasing awareness and trying to have this risk reduction uh, 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 kind of uh, risk reduction um, work what we can do. Of course, having, again, the realistic uh, expectations, we, we, we can't uh, prevent all dementias, but if we can put postpone the onset of dementia with some years, that would have a huge, huge effect. There are these estimations that by postponing the onset of dementia by five years, we could reduce the amount of patients with 50%. So both on individual level and on societal level, only postponing the onset with a few years would have a huge impact. And again, coming back to individual level, we all have different mixture and cocktail of genetic factors and environmental factors. And that's why it's not possible to say always how much I can reduce my risk. But, but on population level, we can say that there, there are possibilities at least 30 to 50% of late onset AD may be related for these uh, modifiable risk factors. And that's the message what, what I can, I would, I would like to really say there is something we can do and there is something what we all should try to do. Now, uh, one, one question I'm just wondering about is um, with all the people that you have going through this, have you, and I don't even know if you can do this, um, yeah, I know here in the U.S. We, there's so many legalities with things, but I think it would be just really powerful if, if you, there were videos, and maybe there already are, of people who have gone through the process and, and what changes they've seen. So people would be connecting with an everyday person who has gone through this trial and has seen you know, change um, in their own body, in their own symptoms. Yeah. That's a great idea, actually. We have, we have been doing some interviews. We have some photos, some videos. So maybe we should try really to give more individual, personal 
experiences as well to really show that there are very positive personal experiences as well, both what it comes, what they can do, uh, uh, and, and how the brain, the brain is functioning. So uh, that's a great, great suggestion. Yeah, I think a lot of times people, um, you know, sometimes when they hear, you know, people in medical positions or researchers speaking to them, you know, they're a little apprehensive because they know that's their study and that's their job and, you know, that's what they have to say. Um, and I think their defenses go down when they hear a real person talk. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, here on Alzheimer's Speaks, that's one of the things that we've done. We've never done any advertising. Everything that we've done has just been organic. And I think it's because you know, we, we talk, we, we try to raise everyone's voice on an authentic level. And that's one of the things I love about this show is getting people talking about their passions. And it doesn't make any different what position or what role they're in. If it's a formal or an informal one, voices all need to be heard, you know, or maybe care partners talking about the difference that they're seeing because they're, they're going to get it as a different perspective than maybe somebody diagnosed versus a research, I think all those voices um, are so powerful when they're when they're merged together and just uh, talk, you know, talked about from the heart. So um, I, I, I love the work that you're doing and I'm, I'm so thrilled that we made this, this connection. Is there anything that we haven't talked about, um, Maya, that you think um, the audience needs to know? No, I think we have been covering most of the topics, what the, what I had, uh, in my mind and and again from my point of view what I what I really think is the positive thing what I think we have learned about the brain and Alzheimer it's a complex disorder and even though we don't have the disease modifying drugs or the cure but I believe there is something we all can do uh, already today to reduce the risk and increase the quality of life uh, so that is really, really, really important. And also, uh, what I said when we started, I think it's good to start early. On the other hand, I think it's never too late. We can always do something with the lifestyle factors and the joint efforts. We researchers need to work together with others and the dementia-friendly society is something what I really would like to see. And also the dementia prevention-friendly society that we can make these healthy choices the easy ones. Wonderful. I've never heard anybody say dementia-friendly pre um, prevention before. And that makes a lot of a lot of sense. Is there an actual group called that out there that I'm no, not? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think so. But that was also something what we talked um, and had in mind when we now have this fingers brain health institute that we really should try to focus also on the dementia prevention friendly society starting earlier and as I said making the healthy choices the easy ones. It's a joint effort. Yeah. Yeah, even having a Facebook page where people could ask questions or posting articles on all these different, because there's just so many areas of life that we have more control over than we like to admit in terms of our, our own health. Now, as far as contact information, um, Maya, what information would you like people to have? So if you want to have uh, more questions about our work, uh, you can um, uh, find or email me to my uh, email address. It's my name, M-I-I-A dot K-I-V-I-P-E-L-T-O 
uh, at ki.se. So mia.kivipelto at ki.se. I'm sure you can also find it if you Google the finger study, finger trial. Also through Alzheimer's Association, the worldwide fingers, you can find our contact information. I will make sure all of that contact information is listed on our uh, blog post and our radio page. So it's just a click for people to be able to go and access more information. Again, thank you, uh, Mia, so much for your time today. It was, I appreciate you staying up late to do this because I know the time difference from Sweden to the U.S. is significant. And again, a reminder for our listeners, you know, please share this uh, with others. This is a fascinating conversation. And I think it's something where people will feel empowered to make change and learn more about what they can do. Because I think we've been, we've all felt like we don't have control. And we, you know, there's a lot of things here that we can do something about, you know, if it's, if it's diet or exercise or staying socially engaged or sleeping better, trying to reduce our stresses, um, you know, the list, the list goes on and on. And I think if we're more conscious about it, it's going to become easier for us to address because nobody wants to be living with this disease or having a loved one live with this disease as well. As much as I you know, my mom had the disease for 30 years. As much as I would not have given up one second of time with her on that journey, it sure as heck wasn't on my wish list for that to happen to her. So again, thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate your time today and know that all of our episodes are archived so you can go back years back and, and listen. Thank you so much. Bye now. Hi everyone, this is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.